My name is Jocelyn, and I'll be sharing our scripture reading today. Our reading is from Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are the words of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Well, 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 you may be seated. Good morning, everyone. How you doing? You made it out in, in the rain, so there's a special place in heaven for you. Without sounding too much like a cult leader, we're so excited that you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Stephen Poor, and I am one of the co-pastors uh, in this community. And um, what you're experiencing is a smorgasbord of tradition. It's a grouping of people that are coming together to do their best to run after the way of God. And the reason we run after the way of God is that it invites us, God invites us, into a posture of peace and rest. And get this, this peace and rest just isn't for us. <laughs> it's actually for our city as well. And that's the beauty of what you have come to today. So if you're new or newer, I want to welcome you especially. Do me a favor and fill out one of our Connect cards. Um, it's a great way for you to take next steps with our community. I'm going to fix my mic. And for us to help you kind of get connected and for us to know who you are. So go ahead and fill this out. And in a few minutes, you'll have an opportunity to place that back into the gold plate. I want to send the kids back with Millard, our VIPs, and what we're going to do is clap for them because we love that they are just as much a part of our church as you are. These are our young friends, and in fact, they are going to learn um, a passage today that's part of the lectionary reading, uh, which is super exciting, uh, Acts 2, uh, which is another one of the readings today. Uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a significant other? Or a friend group that you've suddenly changed your interest and identity for. You know what I'm talking about? So that you can connect on a deeper level. I think it's called relationship chameleon. Is what the kids are calling it. And in high school I had a girlfriend. God bless her. I loved her. I'm married to a different woman now. <laughs> um, and she was like way into marching band. Um, she was the drum major, the person that, like, did this number. And um, she was way into Dave Matthews' band as well. And so um, I got way into marching band, and I got way into Dave Matthews' band. I've seen Dave Matthews' band three, four times. And I don't even play an instrument <laughs> to be into marching band. And I didn't go to UVA to be into <laughs> Dave Matthews' band. Many of us can relate to this, though. You know, one, one of the highest reported triggers of anxiety for Gen Xers and Millennials is imposter syndrome. Can I get an amen? amen? Imposter syndrome is that feeling you get when you feel like you're a fraud or a phony. Even though you might be performing at a high level 
in your particular position or field. And this can take place in a lot of different forms. But one good example would be when you, um, have you ever started a job? And maybe uh, it's an advanced position, right? Something new for you. And when you get to the job for the first week, you feel like a fraud. You're like, I can't believe they gave me this position. I can't believe they are trusting me and I'm just waiting for HR to find out that I'm actually not qualified for this job. Or in my case, um, <laughs> as a pastor, it wasn't too long ago when I was 26 years old and I was throwing rotten fruit off of the roof of my apartment here in the city at strangers on the street and now I'm a pastor. <laughs> How can that be? When it comes to our life, it's easy for us to feel like that. And our solution when we start to feel like that is to keep moving, to keep changing, to keep adapting, to find fulfillment, to find new friend groups, to be like, to be the people that you feel like you have to be because of all the commercials, because of all the stuff, because of all the expectations, because of all the moms that are calling us on our cell phones, checking in. And so we're constantly rushing and hustling and doing and becoming and being. And this can be so exhausting. And what's really sad is that it's also true when it comes to our relationship with God. We think that God requires our changing and our performance and our adapting and our constant checklist that we make sure that we mark every single box. I hate journaling. But like many of us that grew up in Christian circles that went to Christian camps, you felt like you had to journal. Because everyone else was journaling. They're like, you know how I really connect to God? Journaling. And so you were like, well, I, I guess I'll journal. I'll write in this thing. And that's a funny example, but there are things like that in our faith all the time. These trivial things that we feel like we have to do, but they don't actually bring us rest and rejuvenation. And it's like we're a relationship chameleon to God. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> we're, we're adapting and we're becoming, and soon because we're in this like relationship chameleon status with our creator, you know what I'm talking about? We start to have imposter syndrome. And inadvertently, what we begin to do is we hide ourselves from the maker. Have you ever had those moments where you felt like... <laughs> <laughs> you know where it, it just feels like God's not listening. God's not there. Maybe that God doesn't care. Have you ever considered that maybe it's because you're not bringing your full, authentic, Maybe our psalmist felt the same way. As a boy, presumably our author David, and I'm not going to get into the theology of that, was shepherding 
as the youngest son. It would have been expected for him to pick up the trade of shepherding for his father. And here in this psalm that we just read from Psalm 23, he's a king. And what I love about this text is he's beginning to fondly look back on the memories of shepherding. And in the ancient world, I want to kind of set up what shepherding meant in the ancient world. There were no gates. There were no pens. There was no branding of your animals per se. There was just somebody who would walk along this herd and would lead them to known places of comfort, whether that's water or, or grass to, to graze in, perhaps a meadow to lay in if the, the flock was weary and tired. And so the psalmist, David, kind of goes back to this time. See, this is where faith in God invites us into another paradigm. When we are being led, um, we have an opportunity to release the stress, to release the hustle, to, to release the doing to be or to become or to strive. We get to release that because God wants us to trust God's direction and ditch the distress. You know, the thing about trust is that it removes the element of knowledge. And that's the beauty of our text. There is no demand of knowing God. God isn't concerned about whether or not you have faith figured out or whether or not you journal in your journal at camp. This is a text of rest. That our ability to experience the provisions of God is actually found in the paradoxical nature of letting go. Amen. Because that is what grace is. Grace is letting go of the hustle and the striving and the doing and the showing up and the journaling. God forbid. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The psalmist doesn't invite us to know that the Lord is our shepherd. But to live as though the Lord is our shepherd. Do you see the difference here? <laughs> Knowing is where you get caught up in the doing. But living is the place where you simply show up as you are. It's not original sin in Genesis 1. Don't be deceived. God created and he saw it was good. You are blessed. Exactly as you are. Who you are, Dan. You are good. And that's the beauty of grace. And God is good. Get this. Without our goods. God is good without our goods. You know what I'm talking about? God is good whether or not you believe. God is good even when your circumstances are not good. 
The psalmist isn't talking about what will happen when we die. This isn't uh, an eschatological piece, something that's looking to the future. This is a present reality that the psalmist is resting in, that the psalmist is writing about. The idea that Richard Rohr is tapping into here, listen to what Richard Rohr says. All we can do is become quieter, smaller, and less filled with our own self and our constant flurry of ideas and feelings. Then God will be obvious in the very now of things, in the simplicity of things. To sum it all up, we can never get there. We can only be there. We can never get there. There's no doing involved. We can only be there. Human being. Not human doing. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. Restful places. Um, the other lectionary reading reminds us that the shepherd knows the names of his sheep. You aren't anonymous to God. So why even try to put on the facade? Why try to be something other that you're not? In Psalm 23, the psalmist is responding to this moment of calamity. If we were to read just one psalm earlier in chapter 22, this is the text that Jesus quotes when he's on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Though it may be tough to traverse the turbulent tides of obscurity. Embracing hope and trust can prove to be fitting remedies. And I think the psalmist is tapping into that. It propels us towards vitality. It causes us to fight forwards rather than backwards. Did anyone watch Ted Lasso this week? I'm sorry. <laughs> and here's who said that. Is that you, Nick? All right. Amen. God bless you. And here's the best part. <laughs> Just like at common table, there are no prerequisites to be nourished at this table. The psalmist reminds us that God is actually preparing our table for us. And the psalmist uses this imagery of suggesting that his enemies are on the sidelines watching as our cup overflows. And it says that God pursues us. This is an ancient Hebrew word called rakadap. Radap. And it's used only in terms of military. When the enemy is retreating, the enemy, uh, the opposing force will radap the enemy, will chase after, will pursue at all costs, will run toward us. This is the, the word that the psalmist uses here. That God pursues creation. Because here's what's true about sheep. Sometimes they get lost, don't they? 
Sometimes they get afraid and they leave their pack. And what do sheep do when they leave their pack? They go hide in bushes and they go hide in caves. And rather than going to look for the pack, they begin to cry out. They bleat. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We like to think that God doesn't change course to find us. We like to think that God doesn't change. And this is according to the countless CCM songs that we sing. And and maybe our own theological upbringing that has taught us to think that God is a one-way train. And you need to get on board or experience the hell of watching the train depart the station. But here in this text, God changes course. In fact, throughout scripture, we can see God changing, whether that's God changing God's own mind before destroying the Ninevites in the book of Jonah, or whether that's actually changing form to become human, to know human's plight. God changes. You see, what I've come to find is that God changes to find us amid our own change. In other words, God changes and shows us how to change in such a way that we can finally find rest. That's because God's love is responsive. God is a relationship chameleon. God's love responds in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve are hiding in the bushes like sheep. And what is the first question the creator asks in the Bible? Where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you? Not the expectations, not the doing. Where are you? Because I'm changing course to find you. I'm going to leave the 99 to find the one. Like a widow that loses the precious coin, I'm coming for you. And you don't have to do a daggum thing, as my mama said. As a community, we've got to ask ourselves something really important. The psalmist just doesn't invite us to know the Lord as our shepherd, but to live as though the Lord is our shepherd. As a community, we have to ask, what does it mean as a community to be a community that trusts this shepherd? Well, in Acts 2, 42, 42 through 47, the other lectionary reading, the one our kids are engaging uh, in today, it gives us a vision. The early Christian community trusted that the provisions of God would be enough to share. They were so filled with the Holy Spirit that anything that tried to replace the space was quickly given to those with want, only to make more room for God's good grace in our hearts. I'm going to invite the band up, and I'm going to leave you with this quote. Simone Vale says this, Grace fills empty spaces, but it can only enter where there is a void to receive it. 
And it is grace itself which makes this void. The imagination is continually at work filling up the fissures or, or slices through which grace might pass. God is inviting you to something today. Maybe that's just being for the first time in a long time. Maybe you need to receive the still waters, the pasture, the rod that is nudging you in the right direction. And you don't have to do anything to receive it because that's the beauty of the grace that fills the void and yet creates the void by what we give back to our community. Does that make sense to everyone? This is what it means to live as though you lack nothing. It's to really lack nothing. You become the community of provision for a city that is bleeding alone, afraid in the bush. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I haven't. I'm nudging you along towards the victory. I'm nudging you along to the kingdom of God. an opportunity and this is going to be quite the transition and I'm sorry the Mossaman family this Afghan refugee family that we have adopted as a community Nahid has just celebrated becoming a mother and you know what we're going to do as a community we're going to make sure that that family is our family. And we're going to make sure that that baby has everything that it needs to be successful in this country. And so in the back, after service, you're going to take home. You are going to take home a need for this baby. Maybe it's diapers, maybe it's wet wipes, maybe it's formula. I don't know what you're going to pick up, but you're going to do it. You are going to create space for grace by giving away grace. In the name of the three in one, go in peace.